This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here with us today. Today, you're listening to episode 327, and I'm talking with Kate Grace. This conversation with Kate is long overdue. I actually cannot believe I'm just now interviewing her for this podcast. So it was quite the treat to have a conversation with her, not only about her amazing success this summer on the track, but just her career in general. Kate is a 2016 Olympian. She actually won the USA track trials in the 800 in 2016 and went on to compete in Rio where she made it to the finals. And unexpectedly, kind of unexpectedly, I guess, we actually get into that in this conversation. We talk about that experience in this conversation. I've been curious about it, so it was really fun to hear how she processed 2016 and what that all meant to her. Kate also represented the United States in 2017 at the World Championships. And this summer after the track trials, she did not make the Olympic team this year, but she went on to set three personal records in nine days. She won her first Diamond League and her new PR that she has set of 157.2 puts her at the eight fastest 800 all-time list in the U.S., seventh fastest in the world in 2021. So we get to hear about these recent successes as well, and we hear about coaching changes. She's now training with Team Boss and what it's been like to get to learn from several different coaches along her professional career. Really, truly such a great conversation. She was so open and honest, and I really enjoyed getting to know Kate in this episode. I hope that you will enjoy it as well. Hey, before we get started talking with Kate, I want to thank Athletic Brewing for supporting this episode of the podcast. I don't know about you, but I've been trying to cut back on my alcohol and have really been giving it a lot of thought lately. And Athletic Brewing Company has delicious craft beer that just happens to be non-alcoholic. The founders, Bill and John, are beer lovers who wanted to cut back on alcohol without compromising on flavor. Athletic Brewing stands shoulder to shoulder with any top alcoholic craft beer in quality and taste, and it only has 50 to 70 calories per can. Uh, Also, they have seltzers now that are really good. That's actually my favorite thing from them. I just ordered two six packs. They're very delicious and way more fun to drink than water, but I know I'm not dehydrating myself by drinking too much alcohol when I have them. You all can save and know that when you support sponsors of this podcast, you are directly supporting this show. So you can go check them out. Let me know what you think if you do. Go to athleticbrewing.com and use the code ANOTHERATHLETIC15. That's ANOTHERATHLETIC15 and you will save 15% off your order. Make sure you grab at least two six packs because that'll get you free shipping as well. All right, friends. And this conversation with Kate went on. It was a quite a long conversation, so we decided to pull about 10 to 15 minutes from the conversation and just have that over on Patreon for supporters over there so that we could keep this podcast to the length we like to keep it and also provide our Patreon supporters with some additional content. We love doing stuff like that for everybody who supports over there. 
So when you go to patreon.com slash lindsayhine, you can find that additional audio. Uh, We have that from other conversations from other athletes on the podcast as well. Um, Also over there, we have conversations monthly with my husband, Glenn. We moved to North Carolina from Indiana this week, so we're a bit backed up on our July episode. We're going to record it here in the next couple days, though. And we also do community episodes where I interview people who are part of the Patreon community, a lot of everyday athletes who are doing amazing things. Uh, So again, it's patreon.com slash lindsayhine. All right. Enjoy my conversation with Kate Grace. All right. Well, today on the podcast, we have Kate Grace on the show. Welcome to the show, Kate. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you. It's like way, way overdue. And so we were just talking beforehand, like we have to do like big picture life of Kate, but also cover these big races that you've just totally amazed us all in. So first of all, congratulations on all that. Well, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I've been a fan of your podcast for a while, so it's cool. It's cool to be on. Well, that makes me so happy. Like I always, whenever people say that, I'm like, really? You listen to my podcast? <laughs> um, so that's, that's so cool. Okay, let's talk about these races. Let's start there just because that's what's new. And if you all are new to Kate Grace, we'll get into more of her story as well. But I just have to say congratulations on these last few weeks. I'm sure that you're just hopefully on cloud nine. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been such a whirlwind. I basically uh, flew right from the trials, which I was disappointed with how I had raced. And then I flew back two days ago, or I guess this this past weekend. So it was just, it was funny seeing the difference of the flights. Like the flight there, I was just really just upset. The flight back, I was just, yeah, completely overwhelmed and happy. So that was pretty cool. Okay, what did you do on the flight there? What were you listening to to like calm your spirits and try to get back to a a good place? Mm. Well, it was an overnight flight. So I, I took a sleeping pill and I slept for like a lot of it. And that also just like kind of didn't want to deal with the world. (laughs) So I missed the, uh, I think I missed the food. I just was like out. And even if I wasn't out, I was like pretending to be out. Um, the one thing that was kind of cool though, is I flew over with Emma and she was a bad, good influence and got me to up and like, I upgraded, which at the time we had got the mile, the, the ticket on miles. So it's like, oh, why not? What's a few more hundred dollars, which I never do. I'm very frugal with like generally with travel. Um, but it ended up being great because you could kind of go down into almost like a full bed with those, with, with those more upgraded seats. So that was really cool. So she's definitely, it was funny. It was one of those like good influence or good, bad influence friends. Like, no, oh, why not live your life? Um, and then the way back, I did not do that, but um, no, that was like, yeah, just, uh, fun music. I was reading a few books. If anything, it was like kind of fun. I couldn't, I couldn't sleep cause I was too excited. So I slept for like little naps, but it was the opposite type of energy. And like sleep didn't matter as much at that point anyway. Yeah. True. True. What books were you reading? I started Roar by Stacey Sims, which is like oh. about, it's like, it's like, um, kind of a pop sports science book about like female physiology. So I was kind of breezing through that one. And then this book called I, Lucifer, which honestly was like kind of embarrassed to be reading. It's a novel and it's very good and it's very funny, but literally the cover is like 
says Lucifer and then there's like kind of a picture it's red and there's a picture like an outline of like the devil and I would be reading it in public and I was like oh my gosh this is so embarrassing I hope people don't think anything bad like it's just a novel <laughs> uh, but it was my someone had given it to me and it was kind of just like a light fun read oh that's so good um okay well I guess let's go back to the trials just a little bit before we dive into those really exciting races Um, obviously you were the reigning champion from the 2016 trials. I'm curious, like, how did you process that going into the trials, knowing that you were the reigning champion, but also knowing like this field is stacked? Yeah. I mean, it may, it gave me extra nerves that I wasn't really even aware going in that it would. It had been so long since I, I hadn't run the 800 at a championship since 2016. Wow. So in many ways, I basically went into the 15 and I had success in the 1500 after that. So it was once like it was that gave me some relief of nerves because I realized like, okay, logically, it's been a while. Um, this is, I don't know, like, I can give myself some grace here that I'm not gonna necessarily be like the one who's been hitting 800s for the past however many years. Um, even when I chose to do the eight this year, I it was very much with the awareness that like this is an, such a stacked field. Like in my mind, it was like I was it's like this is like running in the final of the Olympics. Like that's how good it is. And in a way, it's like okay, I know I'm going to have to level up majorly, and that's scary. But also like that I like that because it's going to push me further or whatever. And hopefully, it takes. I don't know. It's like it's. I really tried to work on the mental on the like the mental uh, tactic of like that being a good thing. Like I appreciate these competitors because they are making me level up my game or whatever um like in the end like if you make it you want to be it because you really deserved it right or because you really like really did all the work um there was always this thing i mean 2016 it was like such a just crazy weird race and like really yeah and it was like pretty tragic for a lot of the athletes there was this huge fall um i ended up i mean i my own personal way of like my own personal thing was like, it had been a huge comeback for me and I ran a PR in that race. So I was like very proud of having made the team. And I always felt like very proud of like making the team was mine, but the idea of being the champion was always like, I never really held on to that in terms mm. of like, that's my accomplishment. That felt very much more like the circumstance. So for better or for worse, if anything, I was like, man, I want to come to this trials and really show that like, I can do this, um, which also, I guess, maybe put too much pressure on myself. But uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of how to wrap that up. I mean, I think overall, there were t- definitely nerves around it. Um, but And I think the biggest nerves was just that because I had been away from the 800 for so long, it was like proving that it was the right choice to go back. Mm. And that's where I think I was most like having to manage manage that stress. I love that you brought that up about the 2016 trials because I've actually really wondered that like your true thoughts on winning that race and what that meant to you because I mean yeah it was heartbreak for so many women in that fall like you just don't know but I mean that's part of track and field like anything can happen anybody can fall um but it's interesting to me that that's how you felt about it yeah, I mean, it was really important to me then to, like, run really well the rest of the season, and I did. And so, in the end, like, that season I'm super proud of because I, like, I PR'd at the trials and then PR'd at the Olympics 
and I made it to the final in the Olympics. So I felt like I showed that I really, okay, I'm at this level. Like it wasn't a, like, it wasn't a mistake for me to be at this level, but, um, Yes, yeah, so like that was really important to me to do, but the specific experience of being at the trials exactly and like being and winning that race has always been a little bit like ugh, I, it's just hard for me to really understand it because it's like there is an element of luck. And the crazy thing is, again, I was being the an Olympian is huge, but also I realized like being a trials champion is huge, and I think I've benefited from that in ways that like I don't know. It's really hard when you, or not hard, but it's just interesting when you like realize that some things you benefit from there. I mean, there's an element of luck in people's success. Right. And it's like weird to know exactly how to process that. I think at the time also it was such a whirlwind that I like the day of, I don't even think I didn't really realize like how traumatic it looked until you afterwards watch the screen. Right. And you're like, Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, you realize you hear what happened, but then you like don't actually process it or yeah. So Later, realizing I probably would have, like, uh, I don't know, like, said a few different things in interviews that exact day. But that's, I mean, you can't really go back in time. Um, yeah, I think I mostly just tried to do, which is, like, what you can do, which is, like, in private conversations, be, like, very aware and reach out to people who have been hurt by it. Um, mm. And especially, like, Brenda was still running, so that was one thing that her and I, um, it was, like, so wonderful to see her do well afterwards. Um, and I, yeah, and then also, and I guess, just, like, try to make the best and, like, be be my best self and, like, do things that I could control. Um, and, like, I don't know that's all I can really do. But you're right. I mean, even me talking about it now, I'm getting all awkward. Mm. I, I, I still get kind of awkward about it. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, again, I'm, it's one of those things with, it's weird with track in general. It's like you are friends with your competitors and you respect them so much and you've seen them. So I do, if anything, the one thing I felt good about is that even after that, like people who were impeded, I was, I was like able to talk to them or just like be, realize that everyone's lives go on and like people think wonderful things happen. And it's not, obviously there are really sad things that happen to all of us in sport, but like in the end, I generally feel like I'm with, even with competitors, we're able to like support each other and be happy for each other in whatever successes you are having. I mean, two things I was thinking about when you were explaining that one, I don't know if it was Steve Magnus. Someone recently tweeted something about athletes going to the Olympics and like just being happy to be there. But he was like, if you're saying that you don't understand the level that these athletes have truly been training, like you're not there to just be there. But I'm curious, like, you you proved that you deserve to be there. You made it to the final that year. I know, guys, we're talking about 2016, but I'm still super <laughs> interested in this. Um, were you seventh or eighth in 2016? I was eighth. Eighth. So based on, like, what he said, like, you know, you're not just happy to be there. Like, you want to – you want a medal. You want to do, you know, the best you can possibly do. What are your feelings on on that conversation? Oh, totally. I, I agree. Again, and honestly, at that time, me making the final was huge. Like I, it also was my first, that, that time was my first U.S. team, like my first U.S. championship team. So being able to like perform well through rounds, I PR'd in the semifinal to make the final. And I really was like, was not expected to do that. So that to me was a big, big deal. So that was way more than like just being happy to be there. And yeah, then like the final, I was pretty tapped out and not really prepared for it. And I ended up like 
kind of out the back, which I still think I ran 159, but still, it's just an incredible field. Um, so in general, it's like with anything, I felt happy with where I, with where I was, I was able to do that. And also was like, oh man, I want to come back and do more, which honestly, like connecting it to this year, that's, I kind of went away for it for a while. Cause I thought I had more, I could improve in the 15 and it be- became pretty clear to me, especially after watching the 2019 world championships was like, well, actually I still have this like fire for the eight after watching 2019. I was like, I could do that. Like I actually believe I could get there and like try to try to medal, which you're right. At one point that that's what athletes are going after. They're going after their absolute best self. And that's honestly what brought me back around to this year going for the 800, even though I knew like the team itself was so impossible to, was so hard to make that I really had this belief, like, you know what? Yeah. Like if you go there, you could honestly, talk about what it would mean to medal at the olympics which is just like wild to me but that's definitely where my mind was i think there's a good chance one of those ladies will medal oh yeah i mean i would say i think that there could be a sweep like it'd be man crazy, but like but i i bet there's at least two i bet we have at least two on the podium you know um but yeah It'd be wow. also really cool to see what a thing does. Because um, I just think, like, even seeing her at the trials, it feels very much like her coaches have been good with, like, kind of holding her back. And, yeah, it'll be really cool to see. Yeah, we have a thing, Ajay and Raven. Um, wow, that would be crazy. A sweep would be so cool to watch. What is it like to be a competitor in the field and then transition to cheerleader for those one the ones that made it? Yeah, I think... It definitely takes a few days. I mean, you're saying immediately, like, oh, I'm happy for you. But the real, which I think it's important to say that, and it's kind of one of those things that the more you say it, you believe it. But for me, it takes a few days to get over the initial, like, ugh, sad, like, cringe, to really feel like I want to root for these people. Um, And I think at this point, I'm there. It's one of the things that helps is, like, if you all go out and give it your all, it's kind of this idea of respecting you have to respect your competitors right and that's also how you're going to race the best is if you really respect that these people are like just the top of their game um and so I think having that level of respect helps and kind of in a way it's like shoot if they do well it shows that this like that this actually was really like really hard to make and that are really like there's we're not just saying this that the U.S. really is just top of the game in the 800 so in a way it's like all of us not benefit but all of us um by kind of our i don't know in this like team pushing them to do well and maybe like in a way in our racing them we kind of prepare them for it i guess that makes sense totally um i'm curious you said the 2019 championships made you realize like oh we had a i still had a fire for the 800 you recently transitioned to team boss so was that a decision between, I mean, before the transition or during the transition or once you started working with Joe, what did that look like? No, that was basically what the reason that I did transition. I mean, COVID, I would say the COVID break was what gave me the time to like think through what it would mean to train for the eight and um, just how I could give it my best shot and, you know, like have no regrets with it. Cause yeah, usually we just don't have enough time to like kind of really take a step back we all I mean if better or worse we all had way too much time on our hands to like totally. reevaluate and so after that like at the end of last year I think just realizing that I am a very much an 800 
meter runner and or 815 pedal meter runner. And as much as I would love to like have this top end 5k, it just isn't quite there. And so combination of like my passion is still there is still in those short mill distances plus like where my skills lie. And so then I was like, okay, what's who let's, let's get a program that's going to like really match up with this. Um, so yeah, basically the first combo I had with Joe, even before I went there, I was like, tried to be very honest. Like this is, I think about, I'm thinking I want to do the eight. Like that's what, if I come there, that's what I will be trying to, um, pursue, which is, was great, honestly, cause I've never really done that with a coach. Every other coach, we've kind of straddled the line and it's been like, not until later in the season that we have to decide, so I loved it because then basically immediately that was on his mind. And then we both like held each other to that and there was no like waffling. Um, yeah, it was just very decisive. Are you, I should probably know the answer to this. Are you the only 800 focus in that group? Yeah, no, I mean, it's the group is also growing. Um, yes, I, there's a three of us that are like eight fifteen. Okay. So, um, Corey McGee and Danny Jones yep. are the other two that were, yeah, like our training is, we can train basically together. Okay. And it was just like the last few weeks that I was doing like eight specific workouts and they were doing 15 specific workouts. Okay. How long have you been with the team now? Six months. I joined in January. Okay. What's that like being with team boss now and like seeing so many of your old Bowerman teammates make the team and as well as team boss teammates make the team. I mean, amazing. Like it's one of those things where I think people don't realize like how accepting runners are of like team transitions. Cause we all realize that like at one point you really only have, if you're super lucky, you have like eight to 10 years of this. Right. But really even that it's like not as much. And people have different reasons with like their families or money stuff or whatever to like move or have new coaches and so I think a lot of, almost across the board, if I've ever made a transition, like I've maintained incredible relationships with my training partners because we all, also at one point, we're not really, I mean, it's a team, but it's not like one person's success there was like immediately impacting. It's not like you're on a basketball team or something. So that all being said, I've like maintained great friendships with these people because you, you are like, you've been living with, you've been with them for three years or whatever. So, um, I just feel like it's in a cool way. I have like so many people that I can cheer for and really feel like super invested in. So seeing those girls, oh my gosh, like seeing Elise and Carissa, like make their first Olympic team, literally just like, it's just the best feeling in the world. Right. And you're so happy for them. Even um, Woody Kincaid, who he's on a men's team, but like just a close friend of mine. And that was honestly like, just literally, I get chills even now talking about it. People who like, you've just been rooting for for so long. They maybe have been a little bit under the radar. Um, yeah. So moral of the story is it was great. Amazing. And then also same when Cor- with Corey, it's like, um, it's only been six months, but we ended up being like li- living together, um, at these like training camps for a good portion of it, like three months. So I ended up feeling like I qu- really quickly got to know Corey who I didn't know at all before. And so that was I- incredibly special being able to see her do that. I have so many places I want to go <laughs> from that. Like, because I'm like, oh, I want to talk about Corey being your roommate. But first, the Woody Kincaid thing. I think that one of the highlights of watching the trials was was that. Like, it was real. And he, I agree with you. He was under the radar. Like, I've known who he is for a long time. Um, and he's been around for a little while, too. 
Mm-hmm. What's the other guy's name? Grant. Yes, Grant Fisher. He's a little bit younger though, right? So like yeah. with Woody, I mean, seeing those two in their races was, it was really fun to watch that. I totally agree. Oh, yeah. And I mean, obviously Grant as well. Um, and Grant's just going to be an incredible talent. But I think for Grant, because he was really well known in high school and then in college, like it, it's, I don't know, it, it's weird, but I'm like, oh, I knew he's going to make the team. It was yeah. expected, <laughs> which is obviously like, it's still, it's not, it's never expected, but literally watching that 10K, like from the lap, from like the third lap, I was like, okay, Grant's doing it. But what he's just always kind of a question mark because he's this like goofy personality. He's yeah, super just his own self special self, like very much like kind of um, a little wacky, but in like the most like loving way. And because of that, again, you're right. Like he's always under the radar a little bit, like hasn't really had a major win, except for then he came out and ran sub 13. That was huge for him. Um, But Oh yeah, I don't know. It's one it's one of those guys you're just like you've been putting in the work and also sometimes it's like the it's you realize that it always makes a difference and like changes someone's life, but like it really can change the trajectory of someone's life, you know? Um and then which he's posted about, like his dad is sick right now and his mm-hmm. dad was there and like that whole thing, oh my gosh. I just I, it's it was just amazing. It was so happy for him. Yeah. Ugh, I didn't know his dad was sick. Yeah, that is amazing. Uh, I'm curious, though, as someone who you I don't know if you consider yourself a late bloomer or whatever in the in the world of running. Um, but I imagine it's like endearing or like close to home when you see someone who's been kind of like getting after it for a while and then see the success rather than right out the gate. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm like nodding vigorously. The hundred percent. I definitely am a late bloomer and I have honestly come to like love that term. Cause I, I just feel you're right. There's a different sense of like accomplishment in being able to get through to like continue to, I don't know, stay true to yourself and um, like continue to, to put in the work, even maybe when you don't see initial like huge results and it also just makes it for such a fun, like different story when you've kind of known the whole spectrum of what it is to like be a pro runner, but kind of be more like grinding, not necessarily like glamorous with it. It's never glamorous because it's not, we're not like football players, but I don't know. Um, yeah. To kind of be like, to have really bet on yourself and then have it pay off later. There's just this special like feeling that of accomplishment to that. Yeah, let's talk about like trusting yourself throughout those seasons when maybe you were under the radar like we were talking about with Woody or other people might, you know, have have been naysayers or whatever. Like how have you dealt with that and how have you decided like I believe in myself, I can be an Olympian, I can make these teams? Yeah, um, I'm trying to – I mean it's it's interesting just having people in your corner that can also – like give you that confidence it's funny I've had literally my high school coach is one person that's still it's funny how high school how high school coaches are so amazing right they're these little angels that give you all this confidence and they really take no I mean they're just they're not necessarily doing anything or having a big role in your development aside from just like letting you have fun but having the confidence of people who were around there early on or Sarah Lesko, who's um, mm. also went to Yale, and I just have known her forever, and it's just been this like encouraging force in my life. I really appreciate those people and people that kind of come on early and are part of part of your story, and just like um, I don't know, it's like 
don't know, the idea of kind of mentors along the way or just people that you feel like kind of come to be a part of your team. And then they're, they've been there the whole time and they're just able to, I don't know, give you that advice and guidance moving forward. I'm trying to think specific. So basically when I first came out of college, I went and I didn't really know what it meant to be like a full, a pro runner. So I was like, oh, I'm going to do this for a year or something. This was January, 2012. So it was six months until the trials. And I was like, maybe I'll just like go out for the trials and me not really realizing that it's like, this is going to be a long process. Um, but I think at the time it was good because it did, it enabled me just to have a short term focus. And then I got there and I did not do well. I did pretty hard. I was out the back, like in the first round, like I was like last in both events. But I think there was something about even just, I made a few pretty significant PRs in a short period of time that I just, instead of being super discouraged by the ultimate result of like, this is horrible. I'm 25th at the trials. It was the opposite. It was like, no, I have PR'd pretty significantly within a really short period of time. And I know that like seeing these people, they've been doing this forever. So I think it's something about, it's like this combination where you're not, you're taking, you're actually not taking the end result or the the middle result too seriously. You're more seeing like, oh, my process is actually pretty good. Like my process is actually like, I'm actually seeing a ton of improvement. And that's what I'm going to focus on in terms of my confidence. And like, that's where I'm going to say, okay, no, I now know if I put, or I now believe that if I put in the work for the next four years, like, I think I could be there. You're never going to guarantee it, but like, I think I could be at the point where I'm really competing with like the best in the country and the best in the world. And I think that's what you have to really pay attention to you, especially if you're, yeah, like a late bloomer is, again, you want to take the feedback, but as I'm saying, the feedback is more about how those, how you're hitting those improvement marks, not necessarily like immediately, am I going to be the best? Because that, that's, you're, you should never expect that. Hey, everybody, a quick break here to thank Nutrafol for supporting this episode of the podcast. Did you know that 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair? I'm one of them. If you're among them, know you're not alone and there's a solution you can trust to deliver results. And that's Nutrafol. Healthier hair growth takes time. You'll begin to experience thicker, stronger, faster growing hair in three to six months once you start taking Nutrafol. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months of using this product. More than 1,500 top doctors recommend Nutrafol as an effective and high-quality solution for healthier hair. Yes, I am taking Nutrafol myself. I feel like I never totally bounced back from those, what are they, baby wisps you get after you have babies. Definitely lost a lot of hair after having babies over here. But you can grow thicker, healthier hair and support this podcast by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code ANOTHER to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is the best offer anywhere and it is only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com. That's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com. Promo code ANOTHER. All right, friends, back to the show. Okay, so in 2013, you had a really big year. Fourth at USA as you go to Paris, you break two um, at the Diamond Leagues. 
And then you had like a string of injuries, I know. And so like, I want to just talk a little bit about that phase and what it's like to feel like, okay, here I am. I'm, I'm doing it now. Then to have like, I mean, a couple years is a long time to mentally get through that. So um, who helped you walk through that? How did you stay in a good mental place? I'm sure there were ups and downs. Tell us about that time. Yeah. the So 2013, that was kind of, again, back to this idea of like seeing your own improvement and having it be a good indication. So that was now, I had been with GAGS, with GAG for only a year and a half. And I went from like barely making it into the trials. So then I ended up finishing fourth at, um, at USA's that year in the 800. So that for me, even though it was sad not making the team, it was much more just like I was elated to, to be that at that place where I was, I had made such a jump so quickly. Um, and then, yeah, it was like I got on the plane and it was really honestly pretty like similar to this year. I kept thinking about it this year because it was like when I was going to Oslo, I was like, I know I've done this before. And I said, so therefore, I know I can do it because like eight years ago, <laughs> yeah. the same thing, but it was like so long ago, but still whatever the, it was just funny how there's like, it was a weird mirror of like, that was my first time. I felt so new to the whole sport. I immediately, I'd never been over to Europe to race. I got in a plane, went to Paris and yeah, like ran 159 which at the time it's funny now because I think it's a little changed with the shoes and stuff and just people are good that but at the time it was a huge deal mm. to like be sub two it still is um and so again that whole thing I was very proud of it and, and yeah I had to like kind of just hold on to that I had to hold on to that season for a few for a few years um I think a lot of stuff changed in my life then like I had been living on the east coast because I went to school there and that was like, that was my one ability. Like there was no other place I could have gone after school because that's, I wasn't good enough to really have like options. And I mean, the, um, Frank Gagliano and NJNY was just an incredible team, but it was also just like, that's, that's where my support was. But I'm from the West coast. Um, my sponsor was on the West coast. There was just a lot of things that like were drawing me back there. Um, so there was this training set up in bend that that's, I actually ended up moving out to bend to train with what's now little wing. Um, it was one of these things where like at the time it was this great opportunity for me to have like a more kind of comprehensive support system. And it ended up honestly, because I was injured so much, it was like this, it was great because I was able to like get a ton of support. Um, but yeah, basically for then for two years, I went to USA's once, but it was like not great. I didn't really have a, a ton of good success. I mean, I ran a few, a few 1500s, but again, very rocky. I do think that's a pretty common storyline though, is like, maybe it depends on where you are. Sometimes people hit it in high school or in college, but usually you have like a good year, you see potential. And then it's almost this idea of like, as you're on your way to kind of whatever expert status, it's like the idea that you're having all this information come at you and you need to absorb it. But while you're absorbing it, it's like, you kind of, it's like, almost too much to handle, right? I was trying to learn everything. I was like, okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plan on doing this. After 2013, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to 2016. I like fall in believing in myself, believing in this. Um, but the, yeah, then it's like, I'm trying to learn everything about nutrition and strength training and PT and what it means to be a pro runner. And I can kind of sometimes like overdo it and just like have too much input, you know? Um, 
I think that I, I had a little bit of that issue. Also, just like growing older, trying to figure out like what I was doing with my life. It's funny. I met my boyfriend or my like current partner who we've now been together for like seven years. Met him at the time. So in many ways, like other parts of my life started growing in great ways. Um, but yeah, I just think the actual running results, it took me a while, I would say, to like integrate the different information and like different types of training and like see any results from that. Uh, and also you're right, injuries. Like again, things is really common for runners is you get excited and then suddenly you're like kind of overdoing it, you know? Um, and so I definitely had to like learn those lessons then. Um, I had never really been injured in college because I had never really like trained as hard. So I think, again, people might see that kind of plateau more in college, but I just, I took me until a little bit later to do it. Okay. So yeah, you've had a lot of coaches and a lot of different groups. (laughs) Talk about the benefits and maybe if there aren't benefits of transitioning so much. Yeah. It's interesting thinking back. Sometimes I'm like, what is wrong with me that I can't just like whatever. But honestly, each time there's been like a reason that has made sense. And also I like, at one point I'm not going to like go back and double and overthink it because that's what's happened. I do the positive positives and negatives on the positive side. I honestly have loved the fact that I've had been able to learn from so many different people and like different types of programs and, and just, like, seeing both the, like, science of how they coach, but also, like, how they interact with their athletes. If anything, I feel like it's benefited me with my, like, interpersonal interactions just to see how these people are really good at making people trust them and believe in themselves. On the one hand, I'm not going to say that anyone should necessarily go and change coaches five times, whatever, but... <laughs> I do, I do think at some level, a lot of times athletes are so nervous about changing situations that they, to the point where they do themselves a disservice. And I think, I mean, I think a coach would agree with this, that like, yes, a coach is important, but there are so many other things in your life that are also important that you need to have like a full picture around. Mm. And so if you're, if you're, for example, me being on the East coast, if you're like far from family you're like you're not dating anyone not that you have to be dating anyone but like you're just like everything else in your life is just kind of like stagnated and you're but you have a great coach like is that really going to be where you're going to thrive for the next five years maybe the one coach is going to do it but I would say that like honestly there's a ton of like your job um eventually if you're having kids like just different things there's so many other aspects that are going to go into you being happy and successful as a person and an athlete that I think that people that you have to weight those other things in the equation and a lot of, and, and also realize that there are a lot of good coaches out there. And like, it's interesting people who are really knowledgeable, who can give you insight at different points in time. So that's my plug for that. Uh, and yeah, transitions, I have gotten like for better or worse, relatively good at making coaching <laughs> transitions. Um, but I mean, again, I, I do think part of it was just like, it, and it was just uh, a lot of it was just the, what's I going to say, like a side effect of the way that I was such a late bloomer in that like things have happened along the, along the path of my career that have made it, yeah, have just have changed what coaching is, is, is there. Um, and it's very different than someone who comes out of college, has their big contract and immediately goes to whatever training group, you know? Um, and, but again, I wouldn't change it because I think it's enabled me to 
yeah, have these great relationships that I still talk to. Literally, Gags, Gag is literally texting me this last, we were texting back and forth a ton this last, like when I was in Europe this time, just about different races and stuff. And same, I mean, the Lescos, Bob and Sarah, who were really involved with um, the group and Bend, they've honestly been there the whole time. And so I think people sometimes from the outside see, see changes and think like, oh, it's disjointed, but really... In terms of like my core group of people that I go to for advice, like that has not changed in the last eight years. And I think that would be my other advice is that for people, especially if they're looking at like a longer career, is that you have your people that you really trust to go to, to not lead you, but just like have that, um, be able to go to for advice or go to, to like just talk through something. And I feel so lucky that I've been able to, yeah, have them as like kind of sounding boards. They were more in a coaching role, but mostly it's now just like, it's not at all coaching. It's mostly just, it just like being able to talk through, okay, well, Sarah's a doctor, so I still call her all the time. Whenever I have an injury, I call Sarah. <laughs> but, but besides that, I don't know, just like any kind of life advice, you know, um, and just to have those people in your corner. And I think that that, that plays for not only running, but any career is that you I don't know have your five people or whatever and that now Patrick is one of those um my boyfriend that is like has been there the whole time for the earth for the past seven years or whatever that it's very much I feel like there is a core team that has not changed uh and then and that I think has been very important I guess my and my family would be the last part of that like my sister so I love that um I love what you were saying about finding a place where you can like holistically feel good. And that's one of the things I really admire about uh, this is sidetracking a little bit, but what Amy Craig is doing with her group out in the triangle area, which is strangely where I happen to be moving as well. But when I talked to her, she was like, really, we picked this area specifically because we felt like our athletes could have a really great quality of life where if they have a partner or, you know, or whatever, there's like opportunities for them to live their own lives and things like that. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I think it's just time that it, that's what, that's where we are now. And I think it's really good for younger athletes to hear someone like you, who's a veteran talking about it. Yeah, no, you're right. And honestly, it's interesting, just the different, I think more and more we have different opportunities for training groups around the country, but not as much in the, like the South as, but now there's more, which is great. Um, because yeah, this is, it's an amazing, huge country, but there's like, you literally feels like a different, different world being East coast versus West coast. Right. So you think at one point, if you're only ever thinking, Oh, I have to go to, I don't know, the five locations that can be kind of limiting. Um, so it's really cool right now what's happening in distance running, just like, all these different groups popping up all over the place. Um, yeah. And honestly, hearing you talk about all the different coaches and your soundie board and things like that, I'm like, you know, like selfishly, I feel like I'd want that because like, this is a generic term, but like, look at your catalog of people now, you know, had you just stayed with one group this entire time, you just w- probably wouldn't have the, had the opportunity to get to know, for instance, Sarah Lesko on that deeper level. Yeah, I feel that way. And I feel very grateful for it. That also said, I completely see it's one of those things where I just like, I can't even compare to the other setting because I don't have it. But I also see how special it is like for someone to go through eight years with a coach and then have that breakout like Evan, for example, Jager, or even honestly, Woody with Jerry, like that kind of stuff. 
is a different level of like, or just a different situation. But it's like, I see that that is so special. Then, and your coach is with you the whole time. And then like, I don't know. And then like a few years down, you have this big breakout. It is interesting now though, thinking, cause our Joe Bossard, Emma Coburn's husband is my coach. And it's, because like he, we're like the same age. So it would yeah. never have been possible to, never been possible for him to coach me up until like relatively recently. Um, so some part of me is like, has been thinking recently like, ah, well, for better or worse, like the late bloomer status has allowed me to ha- to like, now be coached by him, which literally like would have been impossible like four years ago. And so this has been a very cool way to kind of like, I don't know, have this culminate um and then be able to be coached and like be able to pr and stuff with him that if i maybe would have been in a different situation or like just with one setting the whole time it wouldn't have been the case okay let's talk about what you're most excited about with that group i saw your post i think and you'd like written down all these like random notes on like (laughs) they don't even foam roll or whatever you know just like all these funny things um talk to me about that transition and, and what you're most excited about yeah, I I mean, it was just so cool how quickly everybody was welcoming and like brought me into the fold. Um, it also helps that we were living in, it was like a training camp in Scottsdale. So it was like two months of living with everybody. So that always helps with just making you feel very quickly like, oh, now we're, now we're like family or now we're, <laughs> I don't know, just like your roommates basically. Um, and I think what I, I mean, what I really appreciate about what Emma has done is that she has just created this group that is very like supportive of each other and all groups are, but this is like, to a certain extent, it's very much in the group culture of like, okay, we're all going to be there for each other. We're cheering for each other. We're very much like going, um, I don't know, feeling like each other's success is our own. Um, and that's a cool thing about a group that you also feel like is pretty new. Obviously it's been a few years, but like still, is in the process of growth, right? So then every person who comes feels like they are a part of that growth. Like this is, I'm actually giving something and by my performance, I'm like making our, well, us more well-known or I'm like showing that what we're doing is working or whatever. Um, and I don't know, having that kind of ownership, I think is very special with the training group. Uh, so I definitely started to feel that even. Um, and in terms of what I'm excited for, I literally joined in January. So whereas I've seen pretty quick success. I think also from just doing the straight 800 training, I'm excited for like a season in which I have a full season, you know, and I can do the fall training and um, have it be much more, not feel quite as rushed and just feel like, okay, then, and then also feel like at the end of the year or in June, next June, like, okay, I know I've had a full buildup and I can really trust this and see what I can do with it. All right, everybody. I want to thank Prevenex for supporting this episode of the podcast. Prevenex is where I get my vitamins, my supplements, and protein powder. They also have kids' vitamins. For so long, I wanted to find a place where I could find vitamins that were legit with good, clean ingredients that were effective and from a company I trust. I felt like I was always browsing the aisles at Target and looking at like one a day and not knowing what brand actually had quality ingredients. So um, I got to know the founder of Prevenex and I really, really trust this company. We love their protein powder. I drink it after every workout, just shake it up with some water or make it in a smoothie. I make it in my kids' smoothies every day and their kids' vitamins for every bottle you purchase. They have a give back program 
And so they donate a bottle of kids' vitamins to malnourished kids around the world. A really great company, really quality products. Can't say enough about them. They also have a Joint Health Plus supplement that helps provide comfort to your joints, helps you have longevity in the sport. Check it out, Prevenex.com. Use the code ANOTHER to get 15% off your order. Okay, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Kate. Kate, I feel like I have so many places we could go with this interview and we're packing so much into this like one episode because we're kind of doing two things at once. But I wanted to ask you about like, trusting yourself like as you get older and injuries and things like that whereas like a coach might say this is what you need to do but as you have been around for a while and doing this like trusting your body and being able to say I don't think I should do that how do you balance that where you like want to trust your coach fully but also have to trust your body and what it's telling you yeah it's so hard and I think Honestly, I think it's something that I would love to see discussed more in athletics and just general in sport, because I think so many times people with injuries, um, yeah, they end up like rushing back and end up like actually having to take more time off because they're not just like, they're not just confident with it early on. And I think there is a level of confidence, both from the coach and the athlete. You have to be like, it's okay. I'm good enough. I can take a week off right now. It's not going to, it's not going to impact me negatively six months from now. But honestly, like I see so many people not do that, that they think, Oh, I really can't, I really can't like, um, take even a few days off. Cause I don't know, in our minds, it's like, we're runners. We have to run every single day. Another, if not, then we're a failure. Um, and I just think more and more, it's like, I really try to think about that long-term goal. Like, okay. It, let's say in June, what am I trying to be in June? If, if we're, if we're a year back, like it's okay for me to take a little bit of extra time. And for me, honestly, a lot of the success this year, I feel like last year I ended up was coming from last year and me taking a huge break due for an Achilles injury. And I took, I basically like shutdowns happened. Olympics got canceled and my Achilles kind of flared. And I just decided to really go, all in I was also a little bit I was just aware at the time like shoot this is another year I'm gonna be another year older like this is gonna be hard or just yeah just definitely it's not like it's automatically benefiting me for have to have everything postponed um so if there's one benefit it's that I can like be fully healthy and so I'd like got a PRP injection in my Achilles and literally took off like two months off running wow. also that was just I don't know, last year was crazy, as everyone knows. And I think it was like mental break a little bit because you've been going so hard just just to make like for 2020, you know, I was like, okay, I need to reset. Um, But yeah, took two months off. And I actually would think of Shalane a little bit. Like I know Shalane was really um, vocal about before her win at New York City Marathon that she took a a ton of time off. I think there's a, if you do it right and you can come back from it, that there is a benefit, especially as an older athlete, to like really have that time to like rejuvenate, um, to like, I don't know, have all the hormones kind of reset, just everything that you need for training. So yeah, that was something that I, again, I just think that those kind of breaks, you never want that obviously, but to be able to have either those big breaks, just to not be scared of them, that you realize that actually it can like boost you past a plateau. Um, and then you're right on the smaller scale, be like, okay, yeah, with coaches and athletes, just to always remember that it is 
in the end, that is the competent thing to do. And like the smart thing to do is to take, take the extra day, especially when you're four months out or whatever from whatever the goal is. So we've covered so many things and um, I feel like we could talk forever, but before we wrap up, let's just get into these, these last few weeks a little bit. Um, yes. Man, three PRs in nine days and 157.2. I mean, I hate to ask this. It's like, I remember when my husband ran his marathon PR, he ran 249.05 and somebody was like, oh, I bet you wish you could like get those five seconds. And I was thinking, <laughs> no, he broke 250. What are you talking about? Um, but like, Gosh, that's so close to 156. I'm that person now. That's what I'm saying. I'm the person that said that after his race. But I mean, 156 just sounds so fast. And you're like 0.2 from 156 high. How does that feel? Yeah, I mean, so great. And honestly, you're right. It was funny just because how much difference a week makes. Because literally, I finished the Oslo race. And that was the first one. And I ran 57 six yeah three seven six and I was just over the moon so thrilled um also it had been right for the trials and I hadn't run like a great time at the trials so I was just it was great and then literally like a week later I'm running Monaco and I do 37 two and I'm not disappointed but just like slightly like oh so it's funny how it changed but again I, yes I agree with you and I think what I was learning is that I was really benefiting from racing eights. It had been a while and that everyone, I felt more and more confident. And after finishing Monaco, I did finish and was like, oh man, I feel like I, I can already identify a few places I could change that race that I think I could go faster next time. So, which is a really, really cool feeling. And I think I just love it right now that I'm like, man, I'm at this point in my career and I'm still excited that I think, I really think I can PR and like, yeah, hit these great times. Like that is so cool. And luckily now, because I've, made enough points I can make it I can go and run the second half of the Diamond League season so I'm looking forward to getting more shots at it can you say what things you think you could change yeah well first of all the rabbit went out so fast so the rabbit went out it was supposed to be 57 and she went out in 54 um and which is three seconds but in 800 huge (laughs) huge and then so I went out 56 flat which is like really quick for me in a 400 um so I think one of the things and I was on the outside of Natoya's shoulder like basically the whole lap which just adds distance um so I think what I immediately would change was like okay we're going fast enough I don't need to be like also riding her shoulder like I can just get in behind her mm. and then I probably would go through a little bit slower and I would not be I, I would run less distance. Yeah, that would be the biggest thing. And then I think also just in general like shocking my legs in I kind of did like shock my legs in like how fast that was and I think what I'm learning is like usually you need like one shock of your legs and then maybe the next time you go through it'll feel a little bit less hard. Um so I mean, yeah, when you're talking about like 0.2 seconds, like that little bit getting inside, does it ever make you nervous to get inside like that though, right behind someone because of the falls that happen so frequently in, in a race like the 800? Yes, definitely. Or you can get um, boxed. But in that situation, it was really spread out because it went out so fast. So it was just me and her. So in that situation, it actually would have been like ideal for me to be behind her. But yeah, like I think that was a mistake at trials. Um I mean, not, again, like, you never know exactly, but I ran in lane two, essentially, the whole race in trials, which, like, ends up adding about a second to your race. Wow. Um, and so, which I also didn't, 
I knew it at a time, but I didn't like fully realize that until afterwards. Um, but yeah, so that's the kind of stuff where I do think, honestly, I ran that trials race on the outside, partly because of my like, kind of fear of mm. falls because like my, my last race had been the 2016 um but yeah you realize then it's like Ugh, you're running like 10 meters further than the people that are running on the inside and that's significant significant wow yeah so much strategy and tactic and in, in the 800 it's that's mm-hmm. yeah that is really significant um is it true everybody always tells me monica's like just a, such a fast track <sighs> Yeah, it's funny. Everyone was saying that before, and I was like, don't make it seem too good because you never want to. They're like, oh, you're going to run through 57 and you're going to feel great. I was like, well, what if I don't? But it, yes, it did feel very fast. I'm not quite sure what that is. I mean, I do, the track surface is different, right? So, like, some tracks can actually be a faster surface or whatever. So, it's that. And then I think also just like great environment. It's fun when you're in just like a wonderful stadium. Um, But yeah, I ran. That was the slowest feeling 57 or 56 I've ever run (laughs) that's so cool um talk to us about okay you missed the making the Olympic team but like now having this like high of okay look at all the success I'm having like how are you managing the feelings of I'm sure you're still like obviously want to be a two-time Olympian so like how do you manage those two highs and lows yeah I very much, uh, I think it's a good, again, it's a skill to have as an athlete and you always develop it is this ability to like get through the hard parts and not have it affect your like identity or your core confidence or whatever. And I really feel like I've worked on that and feel pretty good about how I'm able to process stuff. So I was really upset afterwards. Um, And, but then basically all you can do is like, control the next thing right and so the fact that I was able to like control that and run well I I mean it helped me very like process it more right it's like I was like okay well like this I did the best I could and I now have shown myself that I can bounce back and I feel like confidence in that so in many ways like I mean, I'm still upset, but I feel very just like happy with the way I was able to deal with it um I think also having made these these changes relatively recently um, with coach and training program and then seeing it pay off has just been super, like, very gratifying because I feel like I really did something that I felt was right but, like, wasn't necessarily, like, a popular thing to do or, like, necessarily, like, maybe a very obvious thing to do. And so being able to, like, make those changes and be and like really stay true to myself and then have it pay off. is just this like really great feeling. Um, so that's, it's all been mostly positive is what I'm just saying. And then it is, there's still a little bit of a twinge when you don't make the team like, Oh, I'm so excited for people, but also like, I wish I was there. And it's like anything in life. It's like, it's a, I think it's, it's okay to be sad and, or to like be a little disappointed and that doesn't have to like color your whole world. Right. And I think, yeah, that's, now, that's the one thing that I would say is like my one way of dealing with race sadness is like, yeah, it's okay. And then still move on throughout your day and sad things happen. And like, that doesn't mean that you have to, that the whole world is going to end. It's such a good like theory in general. I, I think about that with my kids a lot when like things are really hard. And I feel like like these last few days when we're trying to move, it's like there have been moments where I like literally just scream because I'm like, ah, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, this is so hard. And I oftentimes say, like, 
you can feel two things at once. Like I can feel like so stressed out and like, why is everybody fighting? Why is everyone yelling? All the things. But And at the same time, I can be incredibly grateful that I get to be their mom. Like mm-hmm. you have to hold space for both of those feelings because, you know, oftentimes I feel like guilty that I feel frustrated about it because I know how fortunate I am to have been able to have these four beautiful kids that are healthy but it's like, it's unrealistic to not be stressed out about things. Just like yeah. unreal. You can be grateful for these PRs, but it's like unrealistic for you to not still be sad about not making the team. Oh, 100%. You're so right. And yeah, and I think that's even when I talk to like younger t- teammates or friends who are sad after, it's like they feel guilty about being sad. And that's my big thing is like, no, like, of course you're sad. Like if anything, like, it would be an issue. Like you're saying, like if you weren't stressed with this current situation, like that would be, that would be a lot. But so it's like, if you're, if you're not, or yeah, like um, I'm trying to think, what was the thing? Having a negative reaction to a negative situation is normal, right? Yes. So like having a, having like being sad when something sad happens is a very, is like, that's what makes you human. Like if anything, it'd be an issue if you weren't, it would mean you didn't care or whatever. And so I think the issue comes when people like feel guilt about it or yeah, yeah like you're saying, like they don't realize that they can hold two things at once. Yeah. And if you just, if you mask it, which you can for a while, Like that's Mm -hmm. only going to last for so long. Like eventually you're going to have to come to grieving and like feeling those feelings. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and I want to mention to listeners, this put Kate at the eighth fastest 800 all time us list and seventh in the world in 2021. So these really were big races. The last thing I was going to ask is like, can we talk about the importance of like, you can still have a really successful running career without being an Olympian. I've heard so many people, you know, say like, Hey, if we got excited about this sport more often outside of just the Olympics, like think about all that could happen with track and field and, and, you know, road racing. And I've learned over the years with this podcast, just like how significant the world championship teams are and things like that. And obviously winning a major marathon. I don't know. It's just, it's not all about the Olympics, but the outside world outside of running. I feel like they think that like, are you a professional runner? Oh, have you run in the Olympics? Like that's not all that it is. Totally. I mean, hundred percent. And I think, I think a little bit having social media is making it a little bit more accessible now because people, even if maybe you're not, and again, like these podcasts and just different forms of media, like even if you're not seeing it on like TV all the time, you can, you can really follow people and realize that there are these cool things, other races happening. It, that was another special thing about the way it worked after the trials that like there were these four races in a row that I could run and people could watch and like kind of realize, I feel like I had my mom's friends and people's friends got understanding finally like oh there are other races that pro athletes do or pro runners do and it's like a really fun thing to watch these events um i really hope that having us or having the world champs in eugene next year will help with that because i think especially in a cool way because it's right after the olympics like everyone's seen all the stuff with the trials this year and they're going to see the olympics they're gonna be really excited about it And then hopefully they'll be like, oh, my favorite runners and track and field athletes are going to be in the U.S. next year. And like I can I think it would be a cool way to like have that energy uh, like transition over. And even for me, like, again, silver linings. I'm like, you know what? I didn't make the team this time. That is like obviously sucks. But I would never have been able to race this much if I if I had. 
And now I get to have all this experience racing and I get to go into next year being like, you know what? I feel like I've gained experience and confidence and PRs and I want to go and like go out for that team next year. I love it. So good. Yeah. And you're, you're 157 too. That is faster than the trials win, right? Um, I think it would have, Mm, cause she, I think she, I think she ran 156. Oh, I think oh, she ran faster. But oh, it would have yeah. yeah, it would have made it. I mean, and again, and one of those things were like, I honestly, I think the biggest thing with the trials, it wasn't that I came off these races like, oh man, I would have made the team. It was more like, oh man, I knew I was at that point. Like yeah. I think in my mind, I was like, I could have been pushing them. Like I would have pushed them to go faster, you know? And it's like, and that's what was so hard about the trials. It was like, it's not even that I didn't make it. It was that I was so far off. I was like out the back. And that was weird to me because I was like, I thought I was in a better place than that. And mm. so then to be able to prove that, it's like, yeah, I do think I I was in a place to really push, to really push that race. And that is where I felt like I was able to then show that um, in the in the races afterwards. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Um, okay. Let's do in a podcast. What's one thing professionally or personally that you would like to do that you haven't done yet? I, well, for this year, I have never run the Diamond League final. Um, so, and I think at this point I have points for it. So that'll be in Zurich in September, on the 9th of September. Of, of September. So that's going to be a really fun kind of championship setting for me. And you're going to chill for a little bit and then. Yeah, I, I mean, chill, I'm going to be training. I'm going to. I'm in Portland right now and then we'll be in Boulder and then I'll have, I'll go and race a few times, Prefontaine and Brussels and then the Zurich final. What about outside of running? Um, I mean, my, everything, my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, outside of running, I, it's interesting with going running this long. I mean, I have always thought I wanted to go back to school and like, um, get, I mean, which the, what type of school has always changed, but. I don't know, like, I mean, have a traditional, like more traditional work, a career. And I think the cool thing about being an athlete is that I don't see it as a bad thing. It's like you retire early and then you end up being able to have like a second career. And I very much am someone who's like looking forward to that transition um, for what it means and being able, yeah, to like have this amazing part of my life and then also have the next one. Um, not that it like 100% matters because I mean, I don't do anything that I went to school for, but what did, what was your degree in? Environmental studies, okay. which I'm rolling my eyes. I'm like, I, if I went back, I would change it. Honestly, if I went back, it would be pre-med. Um, but at this point it's like kind of too late for that. Um, but definitely was very interested in like public health. That's kind of by the end of it, I was very interested in public health and like the different ways that the environment is impacting human, like human health. I mean, I know she's a little bit younger than you, but I just interviewed Courtney Freyricks and she's thinking about going back to med school. I know. So crazy. So it's been so fun to see that trend, like that evolution for her. It's fun to hear you professional athletes talk about that kind of stuff. I do think, because I think a lot of people stay in the world of running in some, some way. So it's Mm -hmm. fun to hear you guys talk about those things. Um, What is, I know we talked about the books you read on the plane, but do you have any like, this is a book you have to read, like your favorite all-time book? Ooh, I mean, I have favorite all-time. Yeah, so I, recent books that I really liked, this is kind of a sad one, but I tend to really like these memoirs that people write um, that are like um, memoirs when, when they're 
I guess dying. Uh, oh like, my gosh, I um, can't read books like that, but I see oh, no. the I see the lure. But no, tell us. Other people want to hear. Um, uh, when breath turns to air uh-huh. is like the best one, and then a year of magical thinking is when I read this year, and that's more about the um, it's Joan Didion, and it's like her husband has passed away, and that's it's basically her talking about the way that she's processing it. And I just thought it was such a good insight into like how grief works, how it's very much not like the kind of tidy thing that we talk about. She's also just a beautiful writer. Um, so yeah, that one was, that one was good because it's, it's a little bit less like depressing maybe than it's the from other the alive person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, I have heard when breath becomes air, I've heard that that is so, so good. I don't, I get in my head, I freak out about books like that. I'm like, well, that means I have whatever they had, you know, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm. Oh, honestly, I'm the same way. It's like, I'm so bad. Yeah. I, I get super hypochondriac. So I can only do like one a year. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, it's, it is cool to like hear the perspective of someone who's like facing that we're all facing that at some point, but like that's facing it right now. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. Who's someone fun, motivating or inspiring you'd like to have coffee, tea or cocktail with? I, well, so Last night, the Bucks just won. Um, so I feel like Giannis, did I pronounce his name? I don't know how to pronounce his last name. But um, the basketball star that I, I mean, I don't really watch basketball. But now, like, um, Joe and Aisha are big, like, they're from Wisconsin and just, like, big fans. And so I just feel like I've been more aware of this, like, NBA championship. And just seeing him, oh, my gosh. He's, like, so, he just seems, I just respect him so much as an athlete he's young he's like 26 but just so into like intelligent he had this quote that someone um tweeted out it was like something about how to say present he was saying that if you're in the past that if you're thinking too much about your past that's your ego talking if you're thinking about the future like what you're going to do in the future that's your pride and being in the present that's like humility is like being mm. present and it was it was i just honestly it was in a it was a clip of a press conference and it was just like so deep and just like cut straight to me. I thought it was like way beyond his years and I would love to talk more with him. I don't know. That's so good. And it's so true. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, that's so true. Um, okay. What is your last message to leave with our audience today? I think it just be, yeah, be true to yourself and this idea of timelines or what you, what different, milestones you should or should not be hitting it's always fine to understand those things but don't feel like you're tied to them or you're a failure if you haven't hit certain things or that your story is going to be your story is it's it's great it's you want your story to be unique and to be your own and it's okay for it not to be like the generic because as we're saying there is really no generic story everyone's going to be unique and yeah just have the confidence to go on your own path. And then when you do that, it's like, that's when you're going to feel the best about your decisions and the outcomes. I love it. Thank you, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. All right, friends. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Kate, for coming on the show. Congratulations on your amazing successes this year. So happy for you. You all can find Kate, Fast Kate on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram. I am lindsayhines626. Don't forget, I started a parenting podcast. You can find that. It's called Why Is Everyone Yelling? And we're having a lot of fun over there. Definitely, my hope for that show is to provide a supportive 
community where we can be a resource to parents. I know that I need resources myself as a parent. So I'm hoping that people are feeling supported over there. You can find them on Instagram as well. That podcast, it's me on the Instagram. Why is everyone yelling? Um, Learn more about Sandy Boy Productions as well. We have lots of great shows in the network, sandyboyproductions.com. And you can find Sandy Boy Productions on Instagram as well. All right. And we had, this was a pretty long conversation. So we got about 15 minutes cut out for Patreon. So if you support the show on Patreon, you can get access to that at patreon.com slash lindsayhine. Sometimes when episodes go long, we find a portion of the conversation and just pull it out for Patreon so that we can keep our show to the length we want it to be on, uh, on the regular feed, and also provide our Patreon supporters with a little bonus content as well. So that's patreon.com slash lindsayhine. All right. Have a great Friday, a wonderful rest of your weekend. And as always, we'll see you next Friday.